This isn't the real Caesar's Palace, is it? What do you mean? Did Caesar live here? Um, no. I don't think so. I went to Vegas last weekend. Pretty crazy. Vegas, baby! Vegas! Gentlemen, welcome to Las Vegas. Why don't you give me half the money you were gonna bet? Then we'll go out back, I'll kick you in the nuts, and we'll call it a day! Some guys just can't handle Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 16 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. Las Vegas attracts over 42 million visitors every year from all over the world. Many of those people are making their first trip to Las Vegas ever. And as I've mentioned in previous episodes, Vegas is one of those cities that can be very intimidating to a first-timer. And chances are, as soon as you tell your friends that you're going on a Vegas trip, they'll start hitting you with suggestions for places to stay, shows to see, where to eat, and what attractions to check out. What they probably won't be able to share with you, though, are those so-called classic Vegas mistakes that can make or break a trip. In order to do that, I've enlisted the help of an expert, a guy who quite literally wrote the book on the subject. Please welcome to the podcast, David DeMont Mullen. I started my conversation with David by asking him about his background in the casino and gaming industry. I've been uh, working in the gaming industry for over 20 years. I, um, I was actually a civil engineer coming out of school and just hated it. Moved out to, um, to Arizona, had my first Vegas trip then and just was like, oh, I love it. I love it so much. Went to school at um, Arizona State and one of my professors actually used to work for Harris and he saw my passion for the uh, casino business. And so he got me set up with a, uh, an internship actually at the Suncoast up in, um, and it was the first casino in Vegas to go um, ticket in, ticket out with no coins. So uh, part of that first experience. So from there, um, worked at a job with, with Station Casinos, worked at um, Fiesta Rancho in North Vegas, um, moved to Green Valley Ranch. When, when I moved to Green Valley Ranch, they started filming a reality show. And this was kind of when reality shows just started getting going. So it was from the Discovery Channel. The show was called American Casino. And it was aired right before American Chopper, which was their number one show at the time. And it was basically, they followed about 15 of us, um, management and directors on, at Green Valley Ranch, on our daily lives in and outside the casino. And um, it was mind boggling. First, just the grueling nature of being filmed um, every day at work for 17 months straight was, was tough. Um, it was 31 episodes. And I uh, definitely learned a lot about um, you know being on a reality show. It was one of the first reality shows actually where it was being aired while it was being filmed. So it was about a um, six month lag from, um, from when you could, but you could go to the casino and see it being filmed. Um, and, uh, it was, it was quite experience having that. So, you, you know, you'd be, we'd be being just walking around the casino doing a normal job and you'd have people coming up to us all the time, asking for autographs, taking pictures. So from there, I, you know, I was like, how am I going to harness this, my, you know, my newfound, you know, mini celebrity status. Right. And I said, write a book called the Las Vegas little black book. And it's a guy's guide to the perfect Vegas weekend. And, um, went out there and, and sought out publishers and actually got a publisher out of, out of Boston to, to, to sign on for it. Sent one of the initial copies to Colin Cowherd at ESPN and he uh, went crazy over it. He started talking about it on air all the time. And from there, you know, the book kind of took off. And for, uh, for a couple of years, it, it, was a, it was a big hit. It was a big solid hit. And then as, as time went on, um, the book came a little bit uh, dated and 
every time I, people would ask me about the book, they always ask me about one of the concepts, which is called classic Vegas mistakes. Uh-huh. And they would say, give me more, give me more, give me more. So I said, well, I'm just going to start writing a book, which has all classic Vegas mistakes. And that's where the idea of the book came from. And it's uh, continually being tweaked. You know, it's, it's got a good Twitter now, but I'm eventually going to put out another copy of it, um, uh, updated copy, and really focus on what's happening lately in Las Vegas. Because, I mean, you, I'm sure, you know, again, in the all the years that you've been involved in the gaming industry and the casino industry, you've seen a lot of changes. Do you feel like you've seen more change in, say, the last three or four years than you'd seen in all the years previous to that? Absolutely. You know, the casino business was one of the kind of the last businesses to really get their hands around the database marketing side of, of, of the business. They started out in, um, you know, in the early 2000s, started sending out mailers, that sort of stuff. And mail is a huge part of the casino business. And as time evolved and um, the database markers got smarter and smarter and smarter, you know, it basically was, you know, if how much you game, how much you play and how to, you know, basically get every, every penny out of you. And if you don't, if you're not a gamer, then we're going to make you pay a premium price with resort fees, with, you know, extra charges to your rooms. Um, and it's kind of taken a turn for the worse for the kind of the, the kind of low roller or person that doesn't, doesn't gamble very much or doesn't gamble very often. And, and I'm a little bit worried about Vegas in general, just because that uh, kind of attitude is kind of really spreading. And a lot of people are, you know, visiting less often a lot less um, op- opportunities to game at tribal casinos or other casinos around the country. So I'm a little worried about it, but it's still millions and millions of people that come to Vegas all the time. You know, 20% of people that come to Vegas, you know, any, any, uh, uh, any day is a new visitor and they're out to have fun, you know, and it's not going to go anywhere. It's only going to get bigger and better as the, the city continues to grow and, you know, add, add pro football and, and all that sort of things. Do you ever see the uh, the resorts rolling back those resort fees? Do you think that's ever going to happen? Or do you think that now, you know, the genie's kind of out of the bottle on that? Well, what's going to happen is, and you can see it on Expedia already, is um, they're starting to post what the resort fees are with the uh, with the cost. And there's actually some um, um, Expedia rivals coming out, um, and you'll, you'll be seeing them soon. I'm not sure of the names of them, that include the resort fee into the uh, into the price when you do the search. Right. So right now on Expedia, you kind of have to do, do manual, add it up and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. I don't think it's going away. I think uh, they're going to add more value to it. You know, it's kind of like a, um, you know, a magic trick right now. You know, it's, you know, you, you, it's, you know, free gym, you know, Wi-Fi, all that sort of stuff. But I would start, I would think they would start adding more value to the actual resort fee um, as in, you know, free drinks, um, free, uh, free access to, um, to happy hours. Uh, preferred seating at, at restaurants, um, other little things, maybe um, good, better goodies in the room. Like, you know, I've seen some hotels starting to leave chocolates on the, on the pillows nowadays and that sort of stuff. But I think it's, uh, it's not going to go away. And unfortunately, it's happening all over the place. Um, if you go to just Disney World also, I mean, all the Disney resorts now have resort fees and they have parking fees. They just put parking fees in for self-parking only about six months ago. And um, it's just the way, uh, the, way the world's going to work in the hospitality industry. And I think you're right. I mean, people are definitely if you go on any of the Facebook Vegas groups that I'm I'm on the number, I would say the number one complaint is the resort fee. And people look at it as a a hidden fee when, in fact, I mean, it really 
It is, but it isn't hidden, right? I mean, you know, it's it's kind of right up there with the airlines that say it's going to cost you X amount of money, but if you want to check a bag, we're going to charge you this. If you want to select a seat, we're going to charge you this, and so on and so forth. But I think you're right. It's that that perceived value on those resort fees. Is there, and, and I guess the other number one question that people ask when it comes to that is, is there a way to get them waived? <laughs> Well, you see, you're starting to see a lot, a lot of bundling, like offer offer packages out there that says, you know, $100 room includes resort fee and a couple other things. Um, you know, it's it's so much money nowadays. So if you think about it from a marketing side, right? So, you know, uh, let's say I'm marketing a resort on, on the casino strip. You know, one of the things I have to fight as a marketer is the bad, bad blood that I'm creating with the resort fees. But if I'm getting an extra $10 million a year to market, uh-huh. As a marketer, I feel I can overcome that bad feeling with that ten million extra dollars going into you know it, marketing, and then the player development guys always have the ability to to waive the resort fees, right? The the casino hosts that sort of stuff, right? Um, it's a little harder sometimes on on the strip where it's a little bit more corporate. Um, but if you go to you know your regional casinos, um, tribal casinos, you know they. They they'll waive the resort fee really quick. It's really we, where it all started was was the with the convention business, uh-huh. right? So the, they were thinking, how what's another way we can get money out of the conventioneers? And it was with the res, these resort fees that when they're paying with their with their business account, they didn't really care that much, right? And then once they started seeing how much money kind of flowed into it, it kind of just went over into the the transit side of the business. Um, and and now it's kind of going into the comp side of the business where you get a comp room, but you got to pay for the resort fee, uh-huh. but. Um, it's just, um, another way of discounting. So, um, you know, if you play enough, you'll get it waived, but it's going to be, it's going to be a a cat and mouse game for a long time. Well, and then the question becomes too, is how much is enough to actually get it waived? Uh, I know for, for me personally, I'm not a big gambler. I'm a, you know, a slot, a big night on the slots for me is a couple hundred dollars, right? Like I'm not dropping thousands of dollars over hours. So the way I look at it is, you know, how much am I going to have to spend to actually get those resort fees waived? Is it going to be, you know, five times the actual amount of just sucking it up and paying the resort fees? <laughs> right. I mean, it will it'll eventually be able to, you know, how you earn like comp dollars when you play, you'll be able to use your comp dollars to pay for the resort fees. Um, but it's also, you know, a big part of, of being a casino patron is what you call it human engineering, right? You got to build relationships with the staff, right? Casino hosts are big. Um, hotel managers um, are big also like your players club supervisors and managers they have a lot more power than a lot of people people think about it a lot of those people once you kind of establish a relationship with them um, they're willing to do stuff for you that kind of you know isn't the exact rule but they, they can get stuff waived for you so that's one of my kind of biggest tips is you got to you got to be friendly you've got to reach out you got to always say hi to people and try to build that relationship over time with each, with each visit so coming back to the original, <laughs> we, we went off on a big tangent, but that's okay. I'm totally okay with that. I love hearing uh, insiders' thoughts on all of this kind of stuff because it, it's fascinating and it is information that people kind of want to know. Um, coming back to our original intention of discussion uh, with uh, with Classic Vegas Mistakes, I I kind of stumbled across the, the Twitter account for Classic Vegas Mistakes, and I got to say, I love some of the stuff that's on there because... I, I, in reading it, I see a lot of myself and some of my, my early trips to Las Vegas on there in some of the mistakes that I've made. And over the course of the last few years of making regular trips, I've kind of learned, 
you know, how to avoid that stuff. Um, in, in all your time in the business, like you said, you started putting this together. What, what were some of the most, and what are, I guess, some of the most common mistakes that people make when they go to Las Vegas? The first one is your group that you're going to travel to Vegas with, right? Can't have too few, can't have less than three, can't have too many, can't have more than eight. If you go either kind of way to that, it becomes, becomes difficult. But also, it's, if you want, to, you want to invite people that are in the same kind of similar financial status with you um, and the same sort of kind of attitude with you, right? A one person can bring down a Vegas vacation pretty quick. I, I've been on groups where I was with there with a super rich guy and he was buying bottles at the tables and, you know, he wanted us to split the fee and we're like, you know, broke to inviting a guy that um, just broke up with his girlfriend and the whole time he's, you know, drunk dialing her and crying and all this sort of stuff and just kind of just ruins the whole trip. So your invite group, the first thing you got to think about. One of the big things also is don't invite yourself on somebody else's group, right? People go, oh, I'm going to Vegas next week. They're like, okay, I'm going to go too. Can I just crash in your room? Right? Horrible mistake, right? Unless somebody asks, hey, join us in Vegas. Don't don't jump on their trip with them, right? Um, number two would be uh, your hotel choice. You know, a lot of people think they're not going to spend any time in their hotel. They go, oh, yeah, just whatever. I'm just going to be sleeping there a couple hours a night. I'm going to be partying on the strip and gambling. It, your hotel serves as kind of your center home base to your whole uh, Vegas adventure, right? You spend a lot more time in there than you think. You know, you start your mornings there. You probably have your first meal there. You probably have your last meal there. You're the, the center bar of the hotel you're staying at serves as a kind of the meeting area for your group. Right. And it's kind of your de facto place. Um, yes, you'll be traveling to other hotels during that thing. But when you start going, hey, am I going to take a drive, um, you know, get a get an Uber or take a taxi or am I going to start walking? You really got to think of the proximity of the hotel you're staying at to where um, you're kind of your, your area is going to be. Right. So those two are kind of the first ones when you're planning out something to uh, to really think about when you think about classic Vegas mistakes. It's funny that you talk about group size because I've done. Uh, a couple of different trips. I did a trip with a buddy of mine, just the two of us, which amazingly enough actually went pretty well. Um, I was down for a conference and he, he, you know, I asked him, Hey, do you want to come down with me? He'd never been before. And, and it worked out well because we spent a fair bit of time apart. I was off at the conference stuff during the day and he was off doing his thing during the day. And then at night we, you know, connected back up together and and hung out, which worked out really well. Um, But I've also done, the the group dynamic and and as you said it is very important to get that dynamic right in the group that i was in we did have that one guy who was the he was the debbie downer of the group right he was the one that <laughs> that you know you didn't he didn't want to do anything that anybody else wanted to do he complained about money the whole time he made the classic mistake my in my mind the classic mistake uh particularly when you're canadian like us and you got to be trying to bring us cash of not getting his money ahead of time. Mm. So he was hitting up ATMs while he was down there. And of course, then complaining about the amount of money that he was spending on ATM fees. The the group was like eight of us. So, you know, trying to herd cats to get anybody together to do anything. So I get, I absolutely get the, the group dynamic and, and, and trying to find that, that, that absolutely perfect group of people to do a trip to Vegas with. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't happen by, uh, by chance. You really got to think about it. Right. So I mean, I've had people, you know, just all of a sudden disappear, they get lost and then they decide they want to go home and don't tell anybody. And you're just like, where are they? You know, it's so it's, it's important on your, on your group. You know, they, they can make and break the whole trip. 
Um, once you kind of have that planning set in stage about your group and your hotel choice, the next is to have some sort of plan, right? Some sort of plan that, you know, you go to your people and say, Hey, this night we're going to do this, you know, we're going to do a show on this night. We're going to, you know, we'll try to hit up this, this place and try to get some understanding of what the plan is going to be. It doesn't mean that you have to follow that plan to the T, but if you don't have a plan, what it's going to happen is something I call the group wander. The group wander is when the group gets together and they just start wandering around the hotels in the strip, kind of figuring out what they want to do. And it's you're traveling in a group. So maybe one person eyes something they're like, Oh, should we go over to that restaurant? But you know, you're not getting the vibe of that. You want to recommend that to the group. So you just kind of keep walking around. It's kind of the worst thing that can happen. And I've, in my early trips to Vegas before I started working in the business, I had a lot of those group wanders and I, I vowed myself, you know, never, never do that again. Again, another one that you're hitting that I've been the victim of on the, the, one of the group trips that we did, we ended up down on Fremont street and and we did do the group wander and it was it was a nightmare it was just you know oh well let's stroll into here and stroll over there and stroll there like again no plan of action no idea it was the plan literally was let's let's grab a a limo and go to fremont street that was right. it we had we had no idea what we were going to do once we got there and and it showed horribly once we were there so so that's a that's a an excellent uh an excellent tip and an excellent point to avoid. Right, right. Happens all the time. Um, another big one is um, is what you're doing on each day in Vegas. So I kind of have this rule. It's day one, the arrival day, is kind of your partying day, right? It's a, it's a quick meal. It's um, go out and use that energy you have coming off the, you know, either driving into Vegas or coming off the, um, the plane and use that energy and build up a, a fun night. Now, the key also is it will big mistake that people always make is is going way too hard on night one right they stay up until five or six o'clock in the morning they're completely trashed they end up sleeping out the whole next day away they wake up at seven eight o'clock at night on day two missed out on the pool missed out on on, on the fun stuff during the uh, during the daytime and then just kind of kind of get into this kind of drinking again and then day three they're just complete completely toast so don't go too hard on day one. So I always say day one is kind of for partying. Day two is for bonding. So bonding, as I mean, is you're doing some fun stuff together. That's when you have your big meal together, you know, your signature meal for the whole trip. And that's actually when you do a show. You know, it can be a comedy show. It can be Cirque. It can be, um, you know, absence. It just needs to be something where it's like you're doing stuff as a group, right? You don't want to have just two straight days of partying or it's kind of feel like you're doing the same thing over and over again. You want to be able to look back on the trip and go, oh, man, that first night was so fun. The next night we did this, right? And then finally, day three is all about relaxation and rejuvenation, right? This is the day that you go, you go to the spa. This is the day that you just – you know, get some room service, hang out by the pool for a little bit. You don't go too crazy on, on your on your last day. And personally, I don't recommend going more than two nights in Vegas, but you can stretch it out. But what ends up happening is you end up start doing either the partying night or the bonding night for a second or third time. And um, it's you really don't need that to have a memorable Vegas experience. And it's interesting that you mentioned about you know, more than two nights. I'm, I'm a three night guy. For me, I come down from, from Calgary. So I'm, you know, it's a two and a half hour flight for me to get down. So it's not a horrible length of time for me to come. There's a lot of folks, of course, that come from overseas, come from far away and they're spending five, six, seven, ten 10 days in Las Vegas. And I just, I can't even imagine like for me by the end of by day number three, I'm done. 
Like I'm just, I'm finished with the people. I'm finished with the crowds, the noise, everything. Of course, as I'm sitting at the airport ready to get on my flight, I'm already starting to look at my calendar to plan out when I can make my next trip. But I just can't imagine spending that much time in, in Las Vegas. Like it's just, it's, it's just too much. Absolutely. When I, when I see these overseas people say we're staying here for 10 nights, I mean, you're literally miserable by day four, day five, right? Now you can sprinkle in a, a trip to the Grand Canyon. You could uh, do some other stuff, but if you're planning that big of a trip, you got to focus on going to a couple other areas, right? As in like go somewhere and go hit Napa for a couple of days or hit, hit, uh, you know, hit Phoenix for a couple of days before or after, right? You never want to spend that many days in Vegas or you'll just be so sick of it. You won't want to come back anytime soon. What are some of the mistakes people make when it comes to uh, shows? Because I know nothing drives me a little more nuts than seeing people. And I, and, and you're probably going to hit it with this seeing people pay full price for things in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it takes a lot of planning. First, you got to hit up every Vegas connection you have. Right. You, um, and if, if, um, you know, if you've got friends that work in the industry, they always have the hookups. One of the best parts about working in a casino is you have the power to hook up other people to do stuff. Right. Um, but you got to look for the deals. Right. And also in every show, you know, you don't have to sit in the premium seats. Right. A lot of these shows, theaters are, are, are pretty good that, you know, you don't have to have the $250 seat. You can have the, the, the $95 seat, which is a little bit higher, but it's, it's not, um, they're built for the, for the, for the whole audience, but it's also like a couple things on, on shows is, um, first, nobody wants to see, you know, don't waste your time with like magic cats, you know, that sort of weird type. <laughs> There's a lot of these daytime shows at like two o'clock, four o'clock, six o'clock, just kind of thrown in there. Weird, weird areas like avoid those. Right. I would say if, if you've never been to a Cirque show, you've got to go to one your whole life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a big part. But also, it's um, what, when you go to the show. So you should be going your your second day. And I always recommend going to the early show and eating later versus eating and then going to the late show. Right now, you know, when you think of early shows, late shows, you're like early show, like you know, that's gonna you know get into my gambling time. But the 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 other way is you have this huge dinner, drinking wine, eating steak, and then you go sit in a, a Cirque theater in the pitch black for two hours. I've seen more people sleep during these shows than I could ever imagine just because they didn't really plan it out. And in addition, once your, your group leaves that show and you're, they've been kind of sneak, sleeping kind of through it, they're done for the night. They don't want to do anything. They kind of kind of wander back, maybe play a little bit. But if you do, you go dinner, show, then – I mean sorry, uh, show, then dinner, then you transition to some fun stuff afterwards, right? So it really kind of extends that, extends that second night. Well, and the other thing, too, like you mentioned about early shows, the the shows in Vegas, for the most part, most of the any of the big production shows, most of them don't run more than 90 minutes because they they you know, they don't want you sitting in a show for two and a half hours. They want you out on the casino floor spending money. So, uh, you know, if you hit up a show that's 730, you're done by nine o'clock and you're out of that theater by 905 back out onto a casino floor. Right. Absolutely. Right. So yeah, nothing's too long. Right. I mean, what I think one of the biggest mistakes is, is people don't go to a show, right? Like it's part of the Vegas experience, right? This, you know, 
you know, it just started with like Wayne Newton and, you know, and started with, you know, Frank Sinatra. It's like, it's all about the entertainment, right? And so shows are like huge tentpole experiences for a trip. So, you know, when you get back home from Vegas, people are going to ask, hey, what'd you do, right? If you just said you just walked on the strip and drank and gambled the whole time, it's kind of a kind of a boring story, right? But you said you went to the show, you know, it was, it was awesome. You definitely got to see it, you know, kind of puts that whole vacation and makes it um, kind of sums it up as a better experience. Any classic Vegas mistakes people tend to make when it comes to uh, restaurants and meals? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So if you have a big group, um, it's tough to get a uh, tough to get that seated. Right. So what, what's ended up happening sometimes you walk in and it's like, you know, there's eight of you. So you, a lot of these big, big um, steakhouses, they have their main dining room and then they have this like secondary private party room, which is like they rent out and you know, they feed a bunch of people. So what ends up happening, they usually throw big groups into that private dining area. So there's like a, like four or five groups of eight. And you, you feel like you're in a, a banquet room. You're not even in the restaurant. So you're kind of losing that experience. So there's only so few places that, that you can eat um, in a big group. So when you've, you've got to make reservations ahead of time and you've got to, well, you actually have to talk to somebody and say, do you, are you going to be sitting in the main dining room? I'm trying to make that um, a big point. Um, I like to make the dinners just kind of go fast a little bit, like never get appetizers to share for in a group of eight, right? You know, they come out and, you know, some are three, some are five, you're passing the, t- you're passing them around the table. Some people don't get any, like you should really just start ordering your, your, your drink and your, your food immediately. I even say, skip the salad, just go straight for your main dish and your, um, and your side dish and then, and then skip dessert afterwards. Because you're really there to have for the experience. Like you're not at home having a meal, you know, that's your Easter supper, right? You're in Vegas. Part of the experience is going to one of these cool restaurants. And so you have, you, after an hour, you have that experience. So there's no reason to make it into a, a two-hour meal in my, in my mind. What about nightclubs? Um, you know, I mean, that's that's always the big experience. And I mean, you know, when we did it, when my buddies and I did it, we did the whole bottle service VIP thing. And, you know, we we laid out some cash. I, I honestly I can never see myself doing it again because, I mean, I'm at that age in my life now where, you know, I'm 43 years old. It's it's loud and annoying and expensive. But, you know, <laughs> a few years ago, it was something that I'd never done before. So I wanted to do it before uh, or do it at, at some point. Do you have any uh, any advice as far as, you know, nightclubs setting things up? Should people do bottle service? Is it worth, you know, sliding the bouncer a few bucks to try and sneak in? Or should you talk to those dudes on the street? Any advice there? Sure. So it's, it's those are great questions because this happens to a lot of people, right? So the first thing, the kind of big mistake about getting a table and getting bottle service is first, if you just want to go there for a little bit, you've already spent so much money, so you're gonna be staying there for hours, right? Mm-hmm. And then also, you're kind of stuck to your table, right? You don't venture that far out, right? So you're kind of sitting at your table, you know, you're kind of, you know, watching people, that sort of stuff. I personally prefer um, just kind of fighting my way to the front of the line, right? Tr- reading the name of the bouncer um, off his name tag, right? Mm-hmm. And depending on how busy it is, you got you have to slip him some money. But you introduce yourself, hey, David, you know, and then you shake your hand, you have, you know, have a 20 in there, but if it's a really, you know, popular place, a hundred dollar bill, say I got six people, can you get us in? And that's the way those guys make their money. They have no loyalty to the actual place they work at. They're all out for themselves. So they'll, they'll definitely get you in. Um, there's a couple other places, um, and that have back doors that have bouncers and kind of one of the secret things is trying to find that back door. 
and um, tipping that bouncer lets you in the back door, right? Again, these guys don't care. They just, they just want to make money, right? But, you know, some people spend the entire day trying to get in on, on the guest list for a, uh, for a nightclub. You know, they, they, they call the promoters. They call the, they call the places. They, they go to it early. They put their names on the list. But when you get there, it's a mass of people, and it's any name on any list isn't, isn't going to work out, right? So unless somebody's buying a table for you and you're stopping by, I directly don't recommend don't recommend getting a table, right? You know, you could, you could do it every once in your life, but in Vegas, you don't want to be caught in one place for three or four hours. You want to, you know, hit it, have fun, get that experience, and then get out and do something else. And the dudes walking along the street that are like, "Hey, you want to go to nightclub tonight?" And uh, I I always see people stopping and signing up and giving over their info and yeah, just text me and I'll make sure you get in. Are those guys legit or are they just screwing you over? Pretty much screwing you over, right? So they're just, you know, they, I mean, they're legit as in their promoters for um, the nightclubs. Mm-hmm. So basically what happens, like let's say you get one of those cards and, and you show that card um, to the bouncer uh, or when you're paying to get in the nightclub, that promoter gets credit for bringing you in and then gets a, gets a fee for every many of those cards get, get in there, right? So you'll see, you'll see if you just walk through a resort, you'll see people putting wristbands on you for, for a club, right? And you think it's like, oh, this is automatically going to get me in. When you go up there, you're just, you know, everybody's got a wristband on and you're still stuck behind this massive crowd trying to get in. Right. right? So I would say, you know, you know, don't waste your time. Now, if you are going to go, I would say, um, um, you know, kind of go early in the night. You know, late at night, it kind of gets a little sloppy around the, around the, the clubs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I personally like the, like kind of like the late dinner into into um, the nightclub experience. But you, I think you need to do it once on your trip to Vegas, um, or at least every other time you go. Now, for a second, let's talk timeshare, people. <laughs> <laughs> the, the biggest lesson, the thing that I learned, and this was, and I, I've, I'm, I'm lucky that I've never fallen for this, but I know so many people that have. Walking down the street, hey, do you want a couple of free tickets to a show? Inevitably, that person walking down the street in front of you gets pulled aside, gets sucked in, and because they, they think they're getting free tickets to a show. The biggest thing that I've learned in all my times going down to Vegas is nothing is free in Vegas. Am I right in that? You are correct. So when I first moved to Vegas, I lived at the Jockey Club, which is well, they built Cosmopolitan's built in the in the parking lot of it, and then mm-hmm. it faces the Bellagio, and it was one of the few apartments in there that hadn't been sold to the timeshare company. So when I used to leave for work every day, I literally would see these people being just hoarded in from being spotted the night before and getting getting kind of you know scammed into visiting these places, and I used to hear and listen to all the the sales pitches as I I walked by, and don't get me wrong. The people that sell timeshares are some of the best salesmen in the business. Mm-hmm. They, they're trained. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly to look for. And most people that end up getting part of those part of those things end up committing something uh, monetary-wise. And it's a, it's a tough thing to get out of there. They're very, very smart in what they do, and they've been really trained on it. Um, and they know every kind of blowback you, you can get. So I would avoid every timeshare no matter what, right? Don't take anything for free. Because even if you do say, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to get these two tickets for free, but I got to listen to this four-hour sales pitch. I mean, that's four hours of your day that's just going to be horrible, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might turn it six, eight hours. You never know. And it's 
it's just not what you want to do, right? Um, you know, everybody that I know that has bought a timeshare, and you know, they'll defend their 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 purchase of it, but I know in the back of their mind that they they, they never wanted to do it. Well, there's there's a reason that there are 857 different websites that all offer you ways to get out of your timeshare or, you know, sales websites. And if you do go on any of those sales websites, there's people that are literally selling their timeshare for a dollar just so that they can get the hell out of it. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the big thing, the big industry nowadays is all these lawyers that are that are working to get people out of their timeshares. And it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's a it's a lifelong contract. And and the other thing too is I mean the the tickets that they're giving for free they're not headlining you know Celine Dion, Elton John, share Lady Gaga tickets, are they? No, no, it's yeah, it's like the Gordy Browns of the world, the Mac Kings of the world, right? It shows that have the space that they, they, they can just get them in. There's enough space. They'll never be sold out, that sort of thing. Any other big classic Vegas mistakes that you want to try to help people avoid? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things is, um, it's gambling, right? So, and, and in the book, there's a lot of stuff about mistakes that people make when they're gambling. Right. And just knowing those mistakes first saves a lot of embarrassment, right? Is, you know, where to place a double down on, on blackjack. You know, if you're betting with a, a $25 chip and a $5 chip, make sure the $5 chips on top. Right. Um, but some of the big things I see is, um, you know, people making these, these huge bets. So they come up to blackjack, they got $300. They put $300 down, right? Then all of a sudden, they get two aces, right? So they got to split, but they don't have the $300 to split, right? So, you know, they can run to the ATM and the, the pit boss is, you know, and the dealer is going to be trying to get them not to do that because it's going to slow down the whole group or they try to borrow money from somebody else sitting there. Inevitably, what's going to happen, they're going to have to hit on the two, right? And they, and they, uh, they you know, have, have a horrible hand while wow, they could have had one of the best hands if they had money to split. So never bet all the money you can on, uh, that you have is on, on, on one hand and right? make sure you have it. Um, I would say don't leave a casino with chips from that casino, right. And thinking you're going to go back while you might have plans to go back. There's a good chance that you won't go back to take the time to go to the cage, get the cash for it. Um, and then I would say gamble, you know, if you think about your best times gambling, right. And I think about, you know, my top 10, every single one of them was when I had my friends at the table, a great dealer, Right. And it was just like this fun couple hours experience that we're, we didn't, not if we're winning or losing, we're just having a great time. Right. You can only really get those experiences during the daytime in Vegas. Right. At night, you know, it's tough to get a group of people on one table. Right. So I would say do more daytime gambling than nighttime gambling. It's not fun to sit there and have one person in your group play blackjack while the other three people are kind of watching from behind. That's just, you know, that's not fun at all. Right. So more daytime gambling, less nighttime busy gambling. If you have a dealer that is is any way rude or smart aleck or just not fun to play with, just leave immediately. There's other dealers out there that can change your entire entire experience, right? Um, but other than that, you know, it, there's there's lots of other ones in the book. You know, enjoy. We can just go to Twitter and kind of look at uh, different ones on there. But I always think of new ones all the time. I see things happen all the time, right? You'd be surprised about how many times people leave money on the table and walk away, didn't realize they won the last bet. Or their their chips slide underneath the uh, the leather part of the uh, the table, mm-hmm. right? And so they they there's a missing hundred dollar chip. They don't know where it went, and they leave. And later on, the dealer finds it underneath the table. That sort of stuff happens all the time, and it, and it amazes me. So if people want to get their hands on the book, David, they can do that. Uh, it's on Amazon, right? Amazon Prime, fifteen ninety nine. Or if you have uh, Kindle Unlimited, it's uh, it's free on Kindle Unlimited. It's really good 
or if you're bringing somebody to Vegas has never been there before, um, for them to read it, right? And it's a great one to hand to them on a plane. Like, hey, read this on the way. And it's a very captivating book. It's really easy to read because it's all broken down into, into different mistakes. Um, it will save your group tons of time, tons of, uh, make it so much better of experience if a newbie to Vegas reads this and at least takes in some of it, right? <laughs> this is um, this book is re really written for somebody that's kind of newer to Vegas that um, or somebody that's been to Vegas and just had a horrible time. You see that stuff all the time. And you know, right there, hey, this is the way to do it. You know, this is you gotta you gotta understand how it flows. You gotta understand how everything works. Otherwise, saying it's if they're not gonna like it, they're never gonna want to go back. The book is uh, Classic Vegas Mistakes. David, thank you so much for taking the time today to uh, to jump on and chat. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I know uh, my listeners are going to appreciate it as well. Absolutely, pleasure to do it. Okay, that wraps things up for this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed David DeMont Mullen's Classic Vegas Mistakes. And if you want more from David, I'll post the link to Classic Vegas Mistakes on Twitter in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to the show. Please give me a follow on social media at Jeff Does Vegas on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe absolutely free on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, and anywhere else you get your podcasts so that you'll be notified the instant a new show is uploaded. Thanks again. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 16 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast, a Walker New Media production. Mm -hmm.